You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Go Wild. Now, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to check out the Go Wild app, you need to do so. It is an app that is dedicated to the outdoor enthusiast, fishermen, hunters, outdoorsmen of all kinds can join this community and do it in relatively a stress-free environment you know unlike other social media apps that will censor your harvest shots or may not have your best interests in mind go wild is designed by hunters and fishermen and outdoor enthusiasts by hunters and fishermen and outdoor enthusiasts and the best way to do that is to go wherever you currently download your apps search go wild and your and you will find it or you can visit their website for more information time to go wild.com welcome to the transition wild podcast the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things western big game hunting i'm your host adam parr and you're listening to episode number 27 where we talk with Garrett Rowe on his 2018 archery elk hunt. Hello, thanks for tuning in. This is the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. We are coming at you live here at the Transition Wild Podcast. Hope you're having a great day. Hope you've been out hunting. Hope you're enjoying your time in the woods. And uh, for myself, I'm a whitetail guy. I grew up in Michigan. So when October 1st rolls around, that's when I really start thinking about the whitetail woods. Um, you know, I'll always have that as my roots, although I'm, you know, kind of geared more here for mule deer and elk here in Colorado. My heart will always be with whitetail and I'll always go on a whitetail hunt every year, regardless of where I'm at. So, um, I've got a Nebraska whitetail hunt plan for public land. I'm still debating whether or not I want to go before or after the gun season. I just found out that the gun season starts November 10th and runs through the 18th, which is pretty early, and it's smack dab in the middle of the rut. And I wasn't planning on hunting Nebraska till later or mid-November. So I'm almost thinking after the gun season might be a little less pressure, but um, you know, you're definitely rolling the dice there with with getting pounded by gun hunters for a week plus the archery season before. So I got to make up my mind on that when I'm going to go. In the meantime, I am getting prepped for a mule deer mule deer rifle hunt in Colorado. I won a seven millimeter Remington Magnum 
badass rifle browning um a couple years ago at a rocky mountain elk foundation banquet i bought a hundred dollars worth of raffle tickets threw them all into the bucket of these two seven millimeters and ended up winning one of them in the uh, in the raffle it was pretty badass i went out and bought a vortex scope got all the accessories um you know the the case the shoulder strap all that stuff and I think I've shot it twice. It's still not sighted in. I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm not a rifle hunter, but this is actually forcing me into doing that. So I'm going to spend some time at the range this week, get everything dialed in and, and uh, move over to the dark side, so to speak. <laughs> I can't heal I can't kill anything with my bow. So I might as well switch over to be a gun hunter, right? It's, it's the easy way. So it's what I've heard, I guess. I don't know, but <laughs> just kidding. I'm not mocking all you rifle hunters out there. It's, um, you know, it's, it's just different. It'll be fun. It'll be cool. Can't wait to get out there. So I'm prepping for that and, um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Be my first experience. Um, so yeah, uh, today we'll jump right into it. We've got Garrett Rowe. He's a returning guest on the podcast. He was actually one of my first guests I had on the show and he's the owner of Heads Up Decoy which is one of the sponsors of this podcast. And today we're talking about his 2018 archery elk hunt in Colorado and uh, kind of the preparation and the stories behind it and, you know, getting it done on public land. He hunted in a draw unit, you know, took a number of points to draw this tag, but at the end of the day, you're still hunting public land. You're still dealing with pressure and it's a really cool story. Anytime you're able to kill an elk with a bow um, public land or private land, whether it's a cow, a spike, a six point bull. I mean, that's, that's a trophy and it's, it's a real accomplishment. So today we're diving into that. Hope you guys are liking these kind of elk hunt recaps. I'll probably be done with elk for a little while. I'm probably going to jump into some different stuff, but you know, I hope you guys are enjoying this and it's getting you inspired to go out and do this on your own. So without further ado, let's get Garrett Rowe on the line. All right, on the line with us now, we have Garrett Rowe with Heads Up Decoy. How are you doing today, Garrett? I'm good, Adam. Thanks for calling, man. Hey, anytime, anytime. It's always always great talking with you and, and uh, good to catch up. I know we had a brief uh, conversation last week about your elk hunt, and I was like, man, I need to need to get you on the show just to tell the tale of, of the whole season and what led up to the hunt. So I'm excited bet, to dive man, into that. that. Yeah, no problem. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm still uh, pretty happy, still kind of bouncing around and uh, feeling pretty good about myself. So yeah, I bet I bet you're on cloud nine. Have you kind of recovered? I mean, it's been a couple weeks since the since the kill, but have you fully recovered from trekking around the mountains for a couple weeks? <laughs> yes, I binged eight like I usually do when I get home. Pretty much, if it's not nailed down the countertop i consume it and uh so now uh and then i kind of put a when i was out in the mountains by myself i uh for that last week you know you got a little bit of time to think about stuff and i told myself that when i got back i would continue to work out and so um it's i've been catching up for the last three weeks or so and and then tonight i was able to finally get back to the gym and it felt good so well, you're a better man than me. After I got done with elk season, I've just sat around and eaten uh, potato chips all the time. So <laughs> I've been pretty lazy. You know what's weird is I I did I trained for that marathon all summer, 
and uh-huh. I did the I did a half marathon in August out here in Colorado, and it was pretty high elevation. It was like eight thousand feet from Ure to Ridgeway, and I was training so good, I was eating good, I was you know being pretty active and healthy, and then after I got done with that. I was just like, I don't feel like doing anything. So <laughs> I think it was bad. It was almost you. bad timing before elk season because I was like, by the time it actually rolled around mid-August, I was just like, I'm done. I'm I'm tired of running. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, For sure. but you're still hitting I, you the know, gym. Running has never been my deal either. So I don't, I, I, running is kind of, I have to have an activity with running. And so it's just, I, I can understand how, um, you can get bored with that pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, agreed. It's, it's a lot easier when you can incorporate it with, you know, doing something fun or a sport or whatever, but yeah, running, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was pretty monotonous. And by the time I got done, I was, I was just like, I don't even feel like doing anything, let alone, <laughs> you know, running or training or doing all that. So, um, yep. well, that's good. That's good. What do you got going on right now? Are you getting prepped for whitetail season? I know we're kind of beginning October here, but what's, what's those uh, plans look like for this fall? Um, well, so, you know, I, I'm Kansas resident, so, um, and there's giant whitetails behind every tree, right? <laughs> and so, exactly. <laughs> so at least that's what everybody says, but no, I am, uh, I'm thinking about, uh, whitetail hunting for sure. And prepping for that, you know, I have trail cameras out and, um, you know, just a lot of stuff kind of throughout the summer that was kind of distracting me and keeping me from focusing on Kansas. You know, I, the, the elk hunt was one of them. And there are just some other personal stuff, you know, that life can always throw at you. Uh, so I'm almost kind of going in cold turkey for uh, the whitetail hunting, but I know when those turn up that I'm interested in, or several. Um, it's just a matter of me being able to get out. Um, and, yeah, I have a – my son is going to be 11, and he's starting to become a little bit more consistent with his shooting. Uh, so we're going to try to, you know – do what I can to get him one or at least give him an opportunity to, uh, to shoot one. So those are kind of the things I think the, the main focus is trying to get him, um, an opportunity to shoot a deer. And then, you know, whatever happens with me, um, as the season rolls on it'll be what it is. And, uh, but I'm sure I'll find one. I'm sure I'll have one or two exciting hunts and, uh, and hopefully before Thanksgiving, um, I'll be, standing behind some antlers <laughs> that's the dream right that's uh that's gotta yeah, be cool right. so is this gonna be uh caleb's first season actually deer hunting or did he go out the last couple of years or what's that look like um he's had a bow and he's shot and we've kind of just dabbled in it a little bit but um i'm not in a huge hurry for him to start shooting deer i mean he's got <laughs> um you know he's 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 only 10 and you know, his effective range is 15 yards. I mean, 15 yards, he's really consistent. 20, he gets a little more inconsistent. And and he has a really busy schedule. Um, he plays football. We practice that three nights a week. And then we have a game on Saturday. So religion on Wednesday and homework every night. It's it's hard for him to find some time to um, to to practice as well. And so, but he's good enough to 15 yards 
and probably 20. I mean, we practice a little bit more over, you know, he practices as much as he can. He'll get to 20. And I think we can get in, uh, if we can get him to 20, I think we got a chance of shooting a deer and that's kind of the goal. So that's awesome. That's really cool. So, um, we've had you on the show before Garrett, and obviously you're one of the sponsors of the podcast, but you know, just for people that maybe had not tuned into that episode early on last year and for people who kind of are unaware, give us a little rundown of heads up decoy and, and what it's all about. Yeah. Um, so we're creeping up onto, um, our 10th year of existence, public existence. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long. Uh, it actually seems longer, but, um, <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun, right? Yes, yeah. Um, but yes, we have had, um, we've been around for for a long time. Uh, I will say that we've been the first person or the first people uh, to ever kind of come up with a, I would consider a radical concept to uh, of decoying um, animals. And... I, you know, I just wanted some, a mobile decoy that could be moved and handheld and uh, that can be, you know, ready on demand, um, lightweight, realistic, and something that I felt like was needed out in the market at the time. And it still is. And, I, and people get people get it. And uh, we've been a lot of people are successful with it. Um, and we've continued to stay around. Um, we're a small company. Um, it'd be nice to be able to go all over, uh, the United States and, uh, show off our product, but you know, that, that takes a lot of time and money and, and those types of things. So most of our presence is online and through, um, our social media and blogs and, and, a, and a handful of pl- people that we sponsor. Um, I'm pretty much a hundred percent do it yourselfer. I mean, everything I, everything I hunt, um, you know, is self-guided, um, whether it be a Western hunt in Colorado or Wyoming or Arizona or Kansas. Um, it's all things that I've dreamed up, uh, prepared for myself and, um, and I get very minimal help, um, other than friends, you know? Yeah. And and that's, that's that's, huge. That's heads up decoy in, in itself. Um, and the reason why we stick with that is because, um, I, I'm about as regular, I think, as a person can get. Um, and if I go on canned hunts all over and, and show our product working in places that 95% of the people never get a chance to hunt, then it really doesn't do any good for me to, to be selling a product to, to somebody. I think it's kind of a, I'd be a little bit of a fraud. So I succeed and fail with uh, just as much as the people that buy my product. Yeah, it's awesome. And, and, you know, when I, when I first moved out to Colorado and I kind of started hunting states like Kansas and Eastern Colorado and these kind of open areas, it, it completely changed the game for me with whitetail hunting. And then I've, you know, kind of transferred into elk hunting as well. Um, so it's, it's very versatile, it's portable, it's lightweight. And, you know, I, you, you see this trend, right? Whether it's tree stand hunting or hunting from the ground, everyone wants to be more mobile. 
you know, nowadays everyone's looking for that, you know, a fresh shit, a fresh hunt, you know, getting into new areas, being, being lightweight as possible. And I think, I think the decoys that, that you're making and putting out there really play into that whole trend. Do you see that as well? Oh, for sure. Um, and you know, there's no one way to use them. Um, people ask me all the time, well, what's the best, you know, how do you use them or, or what's the best case scenario or can I use it like this or can, or should you, what should I do in this situation? And, and it's always a loaded question because we're still, we've kind of invented new ways to shoot animals with these decoys, um, that weren't there prior to 2008 when I first kind of shot the first animal with it. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, the, a concept of being seen is totally different for an archery hunter for bow hunter than, than what you've been led to believe for the last thousands of years. Um, you know, of, uh, where it's total, um, you know, stealth and unseen and not smelled. And, you know, obviously the smelling part, it will always stick, but I mean, now we're to a point where the point, you know, with the decoys, the point is to be seen and it is to be aggressive and it is to be mobile and, and these, and there's no one way to use our product. And there's no one scenario that's like a hundred percent. There are some scenarios out there that where the odds certainly go up, um, and then there's times when you think that there's no, there's absolutely no way this is going to work. And the next thing you know, you use this speck in the distance, which is a deer, you shoot him at 20 yards, you know, uh, when you just like, well, I'm just going to try and see what happens. And the next thing you know, they're in your lap. So yeah, our product, uh, Adam is really a lot dependent on the person that's using it, their creativity their understanding of animal behavior, when to use it, when not to use it. So, um, and, and we're still figuring that out. I mean, even after 10 years, uh, we have certain things we look for, but we're certainly not ever afraid to try to try it just to see what happens. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And you have a bunch of different decoys, right? Uh, pronghorn, yep. turkey, yep. elk, deer, all the above. Yes, mule deer, both uh, buck and doe, whitetail, buck and doe. Um, and, you know, we've got some new ideas that we'd like to try. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens, see what, how much time I have to, to roll out some new stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, but it'll still be basically um, the same concept and the same applications, just maybe um, some different, <clears throat> you know, kind of, uh, without getting too far in the weeds, you know, just might have a different look. So yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, for people listening, you can check out, um, podcast number two. It's actually the second episode I did of the transition wild podcast. So if you want to get a more in-depth understanding, heads up decoy, um, definitely check that out. And then we dive into a little bit of Western whitetail hunting as well and tactics revolving around that. But today we're, we're talking elk. In the yeah. mountains. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, so tell, tell us, set the stage for this, uh, Garrett, you, you put in for a draw unit, correct? In Colorado that you put yeah. in, you know, yeah. points for, which a lot of people do, you know, especially with the, mm-hmm. with the point creep and, you know, just being able to get into a little bit better public lands. Um, 
talk to us a little bit about the preparation and, you know, kind of getting that tag and, you know, the years leading up to that. Yeah, it started 15 years ago when I started putting in points. A friend of mine went. I think he drew with, uh, um, I think he drew with like seven or eight, uh, six or seven points uh, when I started putting in. Oh, wow. And so, and I had like literally, you know, one point at that time. <clears throat> and so, as we know, Colorado has this, the dreaded point creep. And for me, I was always seemed to be one. I mean, it's just like a carrot, literally on a stick. Um, it was just <laughs> out of the, <laughs> yeah, you get to year five and now it takes for, seven. For, yeah. And, you know, and finally, you know, we were kind of doing the math, um, and off the statistics from the draw results from the year prior, we thought, you know, I got a better than 50% chance to draw with the amount of points that I had. And, uh, and so I didn't really think about much other than I finally, I just wanted to get this thing off my list. I wanted to get it done so I could move on with my life. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, so I, you know, I applied for, uh, archery, uh, elk uh the unit 76 in colorado and i drew and uh so i was really happy um there's a there's a sense of pressure as well when you're a non-resident and it's taken you 15 years you know it's been a 15-year process um some people you know obviously they're putting in they've been in for 19 and or 20 and they decide you know i'm tired of chasing this other dream i'm going with you know with this unit which is why you know, you end up getting that point creep. And, uh, and so, you know, I drew it and I started, you know, kind of working out and, and luckily locally, um, many people have hunted that unit, uh, where I live, uh, in, in this area that I live and friends of mine. So, um, scouting really wasn't a, a big deal. I mean, we kind of, you know, these guys, I didn't put a lot of, uh, a ton of effort into it because, um, I had so many other people who just basically say, this is where you need to go. And so we kind of had an idea of how we would navigate those places. Yes, we did go out there and have a look at them in August. Um, and, and so the, you know, when we pulled into the unit, um, we pulled in there at dark, um, in August and a buddy of mine that went on, that went on the hunt with me and the scouting trip, he goes, well, you know, it was dark. And I was, I was kind of disappointed. I said, man, I would really like to have pulled in here when it was light so I could see this place. And he goes, well, let me give you a quick little tour. <laughs> on your right is this big ass mountain. <laughs> and on your left is the Rio Grande river. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd go a couple of mountains, a couple of miles down the, uh, down the, down the highway towards Creed or whatever. And he goes, now on your right is another big ass mountain, <laughs> and then on the on the left is the Rio Grande River. So it's kind of ongoing. And well, when you wake up in the morning and there's sunlight, you see that there's some pretty big ass mountains, and it's a pretty rugged and, and can be an intimidating unit. And uh, so we hit all of our spots, found elk. Um, we're really optimistic. Came home, ran, trained, lifted weight, shot, prayed. Um, and then waited for, uh, you know, figured out when I was going to go and, and how, you know, the family was going to navigate while I was gone. <clears throat> and, uh, 
so I don't know. I wasn't smart enough, and I don't know if people out there were were smart enough to to look at the season dates. Um, me, I didn't look at them. I just looked at my points and applied. Well, um, the season can't end any sooner than what it did this year. Yeah, it started started pretty early, or you know, started, late August, yeah. but early in the scheme of things, as far as you know, kicking yeah, off and, and then ended. The 20, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last day was the twenty third, and and I think from an elk standpoint, the later you can get it into September, probably for sure in draw units, um, you know, probably the better. Oh yeah, um, and and so here I am thinking holy crap man the season i i mean I, now that i had the tag and i was starting to pay attention to when i was going to be hunting i was like holy shit the season is going to end the 23rd <laughs> coming so, up quick um yeah like okay um so you know we went out to six um which was a couple of days before the muzzleloader season started i i really didn't have because i have a decoy um you know i do rely on you know rutting activity that certainly increases your odds to decoy in animals. And, and so I thought, well, the closer I can get to the time when elk are kind of doing elk stuff, um, the better it, ought, it would be for me. So we didn't go out, um, anytime in August. And then, you know, that first week of September, we basically didn't hunt and, uh, got out there the sixth thinking that we would beat a few of the muzzleloaders that were out you know, influx of muzzleloader hunters coming in. We'd have a nice little camp and have a place to ourselves, and and uh, life would be good. <clears throat> well, we roll into camp, quote unquote, uh, roll into the spot we were going to camp, and uh, well, someone had already, um, you know, um, claim their territory. Yes, claim their territory, and. Uh, and so we went to the next spot, then the next spot, then the next spot. And then we're like, okay, there's a two track that kind of goes into this little spot here. Let's make it a camp. And so that's what we did. So were these spots Um, that you'd already scouted during that August session where you came out, you kind of had like five or six different kind of places to go. Yes, absolutely. And, and they were, and so our, and our camp was basically centrally located um, and, and what it ended up turning out to be was just, you know, camps about every, you know, quarter mile, uh, for quite a way. So I, so the guy that, um, hunted it and kind of got me interested in this unit many years ago, um, had hunted it and been in the unit a few times after he was shocked with the, the amount of people. Um, and so what we ended up kind of, dis- and this was not a wilderness area, but you know, it's still rugged, um, and, and not, not easy to get into. Well, um, we were kind of just rehashing over after several days of, of some frustrating hunts and and setups. And we kind of were like, you know, I wonder if, you know, about four or five years ago, they had a really big burn, uh, in that area. And so, a lot of that stuff is pretty tough to hunt. You know, the only thing that's growing up there now are aspens and, and the aspens are like two or three inches apart and they're two feet to seven feet tall. Basically, you know, 
then or it's nothing. Yeah. Um, so that area right there, you know, in the aspens, and you know, you wouldn't be able to hunt, and then being able to get around in the burn, you know, obviously you would. It, it wasn't like great cover because nothing was really growing. So we were thinking that because of all those acres that had burnt several years ago, it just kind of concentrated hunters more. Um, and we weren't in a super rugged area. And so, and, and a lot of people aren't like spring chickens because they've been at this for a long time, just like me. Um, you know, the last day of the hunt, I hunted with a guy that was 65 years old. Yeah. You know? I would imagine and, with and so, that many years of points, you're, you're talking about, you know, people that probably are not in their twenties, maybe thirties, you know, but it's going to take correct. a while to accumulate those points for sure. That's right. And to, and to this one really big camp that was just down the road from us. I mean, these guys were easily in their sixties, um, you know, so, uh, you know, so the areas that used to basically be, you know, there weren't really a lot of people in when my friend hunted. Now there was quite a few people and, and we saw elk. Um, they just were not really cooperating. And, you know, and then you throw in, you have archery hunters and then you throw in muzzleloader hunters. Yeah. Ton of, yeah. 160 archery hunters and 160 muzzleloader hunters. Um, and so, you know, there was a fair amount of pressure. I mean, I, the only difference between an over the counter unit, in my opinion, and the unit 76 was that there were more, we saw more elk. There was yeah. a lot of people. Um, and, and there were just, we were seeing elk every day. At least we were seeing elk every day. Um, you know, and over the counter unit, sometimes that doesn't happen. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can go and, a couple uh, days without even seeing something or just finding some good sign. So I can yeah. see where that's the difference. Yeah. You're still hunting public land. You're still dealing with the pressure. You just might have some, some better, uh, elk numbers and, you know, more yeah. access to yeah. them, I guess. Yeah. And, and when I was kind of talking to my friends, I, I was like, you know, do I, do we need to be in the wilderness? I mean, are we going to be spike camping this thing? And he goes, he goes, in my experience, we should be able to truck camp. We should, you should not have to, you know, go five miles back somewhere to find elk. And I said, okay, <laughs> I'm good. That I ma- believe you. That makes it nice, honestly. I mean, yeah. um, you know, I'm all for doing, you know, backpack hunts and it's a totally different style, but you know, when you're grinding for a couple weeks or for a long duration, I mean, it, it gets tough out there, um, uh, for sure. And it, it takes a lot more planning. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we kind of bounced around quite a bit and tried to find new areas, uh, we had a lot of good intel. I mean, everything that, you know, everyone that I talked to that gave me information or that I had when I went out there, there were elk at every place we went, um, for the most part. Um, the places that we found, I mean, I almost shot an elk 45 minutes into the end of the trip. Um, and I'm glad (laughs) that it didn't work out like that, but it, it did. I mean, I was close and I was going to shoot this, this, uh, it, these elk got bumped. We don't know by another hunter or what, uh, but they come right into us, 30 of them. And there was a nice bull in the middle of this whole herd. And, you know, and, and then, you know, the mountain winds kind of, you know, always kept get him you from me. Up. <laughs> yeah. They always get you. And, and so, but 
you know, everywhere we went, we we found elk. We also found people. So we had to navigate, uh, you know, and that's not always a bad thing also. I mean, that's one thing I learned in Arizona is sometimes hunters, other hunters can help you because it forces you to go to another spot. And so you just have to say, okay, don't don't get discouraged. And uh, and then I think the thing that was most discouraging is the fact that we, there wasn't a lot of bugling, you know, and you know by hunting, it was dry and it was warm. Yeah. And so um, the activity I felt like for the most part, there wasn't really a lot. Um, even though we were finding elk and occasionally we'd get one to bugle, uh, we sat up on, I don't know how many different setups and tried to call in elk and they literally would get up and go the other direction. And, and I'm not, um, I'm a flatlander from Hayes, Kansas, but I feel like I sound like an elk. <laughs> and we tried everything. I mean, from just raking trees to just cow calling to just bugling to a combination of. And it got to the point where we just, nothing was, none of the calling stuff was working. And so we just decided that, okay, every time we hear a bugle, we'll find one. And when he bugles himself, we'll just move in and get closer and closer and closer. And, and that ended up be kind of one of the, one of the hunts that I almost would have regretted um, looking back had I not ended up killing one. Cause we were, you know, we had had a little bit of bugling activity and we were kind of, uh, you know, above a herd and we felt like it was bedded, but we didn't know where occasionally he would bugle and we'd just move up until, um, we got till the activity picked up and, and I'm not sure how other people hunt out there, but it, it's something I've noticed in, uh, in Arizona and, and I, and I, what we noticed in this hunt is that it seemed like between 10 and two, there was a fair amount of activity, but you had to be way out there to hear it and to know, to know that it was going on. And, and I ended up stalking a herd that was on the move um, for about four or 500 yards. And finally, I eventually caught it. And I almost gave up on it because I couldn't find a bull that I felt like I wanted to shoot at the time. Um, and just as about the time I was going to stop following him, he, the herd bull bugled. And I was closer than what I thought. And... Uh, so I located him and I wanted, uh, there was a, a dead pine that I got around and he was digging his uh, antlers into the ground and really raising hell, which is great. And that's when you can move in on him. And so I got to 30 yards and he's going to town on the ground and slinging uh, grass and mud or dirt. It wasn't really mud. It was just dirt and grass. Yeah. And, uh, to the left, I couldn't get a shot, and to the right, I had it was open except for a deadfall, and the deadfall was suspended off the ground about three and a half, four feet. It was about a ten or twelve inch diameter deadfall, so it wasn't a small one. So as soon as he would turn to give me a shot, which is where his herd was, um, that deadfall was going to cover his vitals. So there was no. There was, I was like sitting here 30 yards from a great six by six with potentially no shot. Yeah. Isn't that crazy how they can be that close? They're that big of an animal, but 
for some <laughs> one reason or another, you just can't get the right, you know, lane or you just yeah. can't get that opening while it's crazy. Yeah. So as I was sitting here trying to figure out what my, what I was going to do, um, what I should do, um, I was weighing my options and I thought, well, you know what, if I got about a foot higher, I could lob one right over that deadfall and, and, you know, I could put my top, my 30 yard pin right on the top of the deadfall and he'd be five or six, seven yards behind, you know, the deadfall was 20, 25 and he'd be 30 or farther. I just put my pin on the top of that deadfall and, you know, or in the deadfall. Yeah. Yeah. And it would arc over it. And that's what I did in Arizona was the exact same thing. Um, and so I thought, okay, but I just need to get one foot higher. And, and, you know, in Colorado, taking one step up the <laughs> mountain, you know, you can get elevation pretty fast in places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but the bad thing about it is I had to move laterally. And so he started digging his antlers again into the ground. And I thought, okay, here's my chance. So I took a step to my right and up, and he saw me. And oh, uh, no. we stared. Yeah, we stared down each other for about, you know, thirty. 35 40 seconds or whatever and then he shagged ass out of there by passing <laughs> third and yeah and it was over and yep. i was like uh bad i was like that's the one i'm gonna regret the most and um so there was numerous other times we we got into herds um again just could not figure out a way to call one in uh to get one to respond and, like like he wanted i mean we get one to re- to bugle at us um, when we were trying to locate one, sometimes it would be as a cow call. Sometimes it'd be a bugle. But we, once we got into a hundred, 150 yards or whatever, got the wind right. We just couldn't, they just never seemed to do it for us, I guess. What, what was and, your tactic kind of getting into these elk? I mean, were you getting in there before first light and setting up in glassing? Were you kind of getting on top of a ridge and kind of you know, going that route or pushing up the mountains with the thermal in your face? Like what was kind of your setup that you would go for in the morning? Yeah, exactly. The last one we would, about the time we would hit uh, these open meadows at the top of the mountain that we, it would be first light. Yeah. Generally. Um, now keep in mind, there were times when, um, when we rolled into a place, there was somebody already there going to where we wanted to hunt. So sometimes we were late mm. to another relocating. And so it got a little bit harder. You know, we still had to use the thermals up to a point, but I, you know, where, where I spent most of my time hunting, um, we were able to, um, you know, kind of go up to a spot and, uh, and use the thermals coming down and locate elk either, either they were, we seen them, with our naked eye or we glassed them or we heard them. Um, and once, you know, then we would just obviously use the wind. We'd try to stay below them and, and, and move in on them and try to call them. Yeah. And then it seemed like they always were wanting to move down the mountain, um, in the morning. And so, you know, we had to stay to the side. And then once we kind of lost, um, once, if we couldn't get around them or we couldn't call them in, then we had to wait for the thermals to start shifting back up. 
Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and so a friend of mine, uh, always likes to hunt, you know, southerly east or so- southeast or southern types of slopes facing because you get more consistent wind thermals during the day. And oh, yeah, really? it's hot. Yes. It's hotter, um, on those slopes, but we found that there were still plenty of places for these elk to find shade in it and, and cool spots. And, and we had fairly consistent thermals on, you know, for most of the time we were out there. Um, that, that makes total sense. That's and, interesting. I've never, I've never actually heard that before, but it, it makes total sense from the standpoint of, yeah. you know, the sun hitting it, you know, it makes a big difference. And then, you know, you get on some of those opposite sides and you got, you yeah. got different drainages coming together. You got the shade and it can do some crazy things. Yes. So we found that the ones that were North facing were a lot more inconsistent when then, and I noticed that in one area, there was tons of elk in there. It was a small area. We've seen an absolute giant, one of the biggest elk I've ever seen in my life. Um, he had 30 cows with him. And, uh, I mean, he was just, I mean, that alone was almost worth the trip seeing an elk that big. And the tragic thing about it is we were set up on him and 70 yards from his cows and he was bugling. We didn't know it was him first thing in the morning because we, bugled when we hit the basin and he hit us right back and then kind of all hell broke loose that was a good morning for bugling um and elk and we moved right in on his herd and he would not come down to challenge us it was like what the hell is going on and and eventually they you know we were on that north facing slope and we just had weird um he would bugle in his bed and we would kind of move closer but then all of a sudden, you know, every once in a while, we just got too close with those inconsistent winds and they just, you know, they smelled us and he got out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes. Um, so we just, I just had more luck predicting the wind on those east slash southeast facing slopes. And, uh, and, and that's ultimately what ended up, you know, helping me out when I, you know, killed my elk there towards the end. I went back home for a couple of days to kind of recharge. Um, I think residents that are out there, they have the luxury of, you know, of being able to hunt for two or three days, maybe come home for two or three days uh, when it's the action's bad or the conditions aren't as ideal and go back out. And, you know, for non-residents, a lot of times, you know, you, you, you know, here's my 10 days, like it or not, this is (laughs) it, or your seven days, you're going. And then you get, you know, your tail handed to you day after day. Um, It's it's a grind. It is. uh, Elk hunting to me is not as, it's not as physical as it is mental. Um, It's, don't get me wrong. They're not easy hunts physically. Um, but mentally, I think you have to be tougher mentally than physically because your mind just can tell your body to do anything and it'll do it. Um, and your, and your mind can keep you positive even when things are really shitty. And, and to (laughs) me, I think, you know, having that uh, mental state that keeps you kind of ready to really be optimistic and, and able to get up in the morning, able to go up over the top of that ridge and, 
able to look at this mountain and not feel insignificant and be able to say, I can get up this mountain. I can get up these slopes. I can get to the next ridge. You know, it's not going to kick my ass. I can, do, I'm going to kick its ass. Yeah. And eventually, you know, that mindset, you know, you'll be rewarded. And, and that's kind of really what it, I, so I went home for a couple of days to kind of recharge the buddy of mine that was with me, he couldn't stay. He, I mean, he had to get back to work. And I really appreciated all of his time anyway. I mean, because, you know, he, he didn't have a tag, and he was doing whatever he could to help me out. And, you know, his own vacation, his time away from his family, you know, both of my buddies. And so it was great to have him. I enjoyed hunting with him. And, but, you know, we just didn't get it done there at that first, I guess, session that I was out there. And, and I was ready to come home. We, we'd had a couple of days of really, you know, some pretty tough luck with, you know, with elk, you know, how it is, elk hunting. And so I came home and saw the family, slept in a nice bed, took a shower, you know, and... Uh, All the important things. Yes. And that Monday of the last week, I got up at five in the morning and loaded up. I left my camp and... uh Rolled in there in the afternoon and got my, grabbed my bow and put my clothes on and headed up the hill and started hunting again. And um, I thought, man, I'm going to really, you know, I, I, I'm excited to hunt by myself. I've never elk hunted by myself. Just, you know, like totally, like I've always had people at camp um, or I've always had somebody with me. And so I was really excited to, you know, to kind of go and do this again and, and, uh, there was definitely a lot less people when I came back out. So the, the amount of people that were there was definitely diminished. And do you uh, think that was cause the muzzleloader season wrapped yes, up by then? Muzzleloader was done. Yep. yep. Muzzleloader was done. And, uh, so it was just archery guys. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I, I was optimistic. And then, you know, after a couple of days, I was like, man, I just, you hear an elk bugle and you know, when you're with a partner, you, inevitably you're going to point to the left and your partner's going to point to the right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where I missed having somebody the most, like where the hell did that come from? Yep. So then you're stuck there waiting for it to bugle again. And, and I don't always sit there and bugle just to bugle to get, to see, I mean, I do it to locate them, but I, it's, I always like to have them, you know, bugle on their own first so i can kind of move in there's no reason to be bugling when you're a half mile away and then a quarter mile away and a hundred, you know you just push them off yeah so um so th- in that respect i thought man you know i really thought i would enjoy hunting by myself and then i just decided that you know i just you know got to get it done and and elks were starting to do what i wanted them to do um there was one mountain that none of my friends had hunted before, um, but it was in the area that uh, we had scouted other spots. And I just said, you know, I'm going to live and die on this mountain. I'm going to I'm going to hunt this mountain because there wasn't hardly anybody up there. I was seeing elk; they were bugling. Uh, I was comfortable hunting there. It wasn't extremely treacher- treacherous, and uh, and I, so this is it. Yeah. So I didn't call in my first bull until the Thursday of that week. And I called one into seven yards and 
you know, and that set up, and I was going to shoot him because it was getting to the point. It was just a raghorn. I was between him and a hurt bull, and, and I didn't care which one came in. And so he find, he came in to seven yards, and, you know, that set up as good as it, as close as it was. Again, it just didn't work out. You know, it's just, you know, when you get an animal in that close and you don't get a clear shot, it just, yeah, it, it really sucks. Um, Talk to us a little bit about like your strategy, you know, like hunting solo and incorporating the decoy. Obviously when you're hunting with a partner, you have the luxury of, you know, them dropping back, calling, you know, maybe moving the yeah. decoy around a little bit. What do you yeah. do kind of more in a scenario and what's your optimal kind of setup for hunting solo with a decoy and trying to call one in? Well, I had it in the bow mount. Um, Got it. So that's that's basically how I did it. Um, mm-hmm. I had I had the decoy, and I'd call. And sometimes I would move ahead when I would call. I'd, I'd call, and then I'd move twenty or thirty yards ahead when I could. I mean, you know, the deadfalls and stuff with the beetle kill. It's hard to move, and plus it was really dry. But oh, yeah. when I felt like I was kind of in that area where I needed to be. I'd really lay down a, a you know a good calling sequence, get him to respond, and then I would move up twenty yards. Got it. And then I would sit there and wait. And then if I knew that there, like on this bull, you know, I knew he was coming, and and so I didn't have to move up anymore, and he could see me. So, you know, that all kind of played out really well, uh, but I just still couldn't get a, a clear shot. And then by the time you know he had come so close he had gotten past, um, my background. And so I, then I was sticking out. And so he knew, Oh, this isn't right. Yeah. So he took off, you know, and then, so, uh, and, and that was a day I, I, I was basically following bugles all the way until like four o'clock in the afternoon. So from the time I got out of the tent, basically, and up on, on the mountain, I was into elk up until late in the afternoon. And then that night, I was lucky enough, I think it was that night, we got a little rain, and, and then um, I had, there was another guy that is from a, a town here locally that I know, had the same tag, and they weren't having any luck. Um, they were kind of having the same luck. You know, they were struggling as well, and I think they were getting a little frustrated. I said, well, you know what, you're welcome to hunt with me. I'm probably going to hunt Friday. It's going to be my last day. I'll probably wake up on Saturday and head home. And they said, well, why don't you stick it out till Saturday afternoon? We're going to stay until Saturday afternoon. I said, that's fine. If you guys want to meet me at my camp, that's fine. So, um, so I got back to my camp. Um, the afternoons just, there was a lot of wind and, uh, in the afternoons it seemed like the wind really picked up and there was, we had not had any action in the afternoon. It was really slow. So, um, and this is the second to last day or the last day? This is the second, this is the Thursday, the second to the last day I was there basically. And, and so Sunday was the last day of the season. <clears throat> and I said, well, we'll get up here on this mountain, beat everybody up there. I mean, cause there was a little bit of activity again, some new, a new influx of a handful of people and, I said, we're just going to have to get up early, get to the gate, um, and and then, you know, get up this logging road, you know, before anybody gets up there. And there were times when I would see people there, and we would talk about where we were going. I mean, I think that's a respectful thing to do, you know. Um, like, which way are you headed? Well, we're going to go this direction. I said, okay, that's fine. I'm going to go this way. Sounds yeah. good. Good luck to you. 
You know, it wasn't like, okay, asshole, that's where <laughs> I'm going. You know? Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, cool. All right, we're going to head this direction then. You know, good luck. Because, hey, when you have a tag like that and you've been waiting a long time, you kind of want everybody to get one. You're pulling for everybody, really. Exactly. And uh, and so the last day, the last morning we got up, and the the activity was um, was pretty slow. We seen elk right away again, just like every the last three or four mornings um, going up there. Followed a herd uh, again, lost them because the, the bugling was just not they weren't as active and so it wasn't as easy for us to kind of navigate through all the deadfalls quickly. Um, and so we were just kind of holed up waiting for the wind to kind of, you know, get more consistent up slope. So about nine o'clock, usually the wind kind of starts getting funny and that's usually a good time to not do anything. Yeah. And, <laughs> And so that's what we did. We took a little nap and I woke up pissed. I, I kind of took a, you know, a pretty good hard mountain nap <laughs> and I woke up and I was just kind of pissed off. I was like, uh, reality starts to sink in at that I, point. Right. I mean, yes, like reality 15 like, years you in, know, Hey, it, it's about done. And so I reached in my pad, grabbed my sandwich and looked at the guy that was with me and I said, I can't, I'm not going to say what I said, but I basically <laughs> said, we got to find an elk and we got to kill this, kill one. That's just it. And the wind was not like, um, super consistent, but it was always kind of going up, never going down, but mostly up. Yep. And I said, let's gain some elevation. Let's find it. And I'm going to bugle and we're going to walk this entire mountain until we find an elk to respond and we're going to kill him. And, uh, so we gained about a hundred feet of elevation and we walked a quarter mile and I let out a lazy bugle and boom, one lit up right away. And it's funny. I'm going to stop with my story right now. Um, my brother, and I know that people that call that, you know, that, that are good at calling elk, they talk about being able to put emotion into your calls. Yeah. And, and maybe my emotional state was, re, was reflected <laughs> in my calling at that point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, and that elk bugled. I walked down. We, we walked a hundred yards down the slope. He bugled again. And I bugled right in his face about the best screaming bugle I could possibly do. And then the guy instinctively behind me, the, the, and he wasn't going to shoot one. To his credit, I'd been hunting this mountain for several days. He wasn't going to go and shoot shoot a bull on the mountain that I'd been hunting on, and you know, unless we just happened to be able to shoot two of them at a time. Yeah. You know. And he goes, "This is yours. Let's." You know, and so he, there was this, he started raking the trees behind me, not, not, not the bull, the guy I was with. And again, I hear a bunch of limbs and, and sticks popping and I'm going like, well, scared another herd away. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so there was just this 
eerie moment, awkward moment of silence there, just kind of waiting for something to happen. And I, I motioned, uh, to Jimmy and I said, uh, to start raking the tree again. So he starts raking this tree. He sounded great by the way. And, uh, <laughs> down the slope here, that bull comes and I ranged uh, a stump at 50 yards. Cause he was kind of tracking on that. And, uh, and he was coming fast, so there really was not a whole lot of time. Um, and uh, I drew my bow back before he got to that stump, and when he got to that stump, he just turned right at me. And it was just like a, you know, an announcer at a football game, 45-40, 35-30. Once he got to 25, I started getting a little pissed off because his <laughs> face, his his head was covering, you know, his you know his front of his chest, and he was coming. And I was trying to talk him into raising his head <laughs> and he kept coming closer. He was inside a 20 and he finally took a small step to the right and he raised his head and my arrow. I don't even, re- all I, all I remember is seeing my arrow in his berry in his front of his chest. Wow. I, I mean, I just instinctively, I just had followed him and, and I knew where my arrow needed to be. I kind of, I, on those quartering two shots um, with the decoys, uh, and they're, when they're on their bow and it wasn't on this, it was, I did not have the decoy on my bow. Um, but like for whitetails and mule deer and some other stuff, we get a lot of quartering two shots because in the open, when we're either having a person hold it or we got it on a bow mount, we get a lot of shots that are frontal or quartering two at close range. And so, um, I just burn a hole right through their body to where I want my arrow to exit. I don't really, and then my pin just kind of naturally finds its spot on the body and it was in him and buried to the fletching before I knew it. And, uh, and it was, I think he only made it 35 or 40 yards from where I shot him. And I was one relieved camper. You know, he wasn't a (laughs) giant bull, but, I tell you, I would shoot that bull every single day I go to Colorado. I'd never pass him up. Oh, yeah. That's a sweet bull. Any public land, doesn't matter if it's draw or over the counter. That's that's an awesome public land bull. Any elk with a bow, cow, spike, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, to shoot a yeah. bull like that, that's uh, that's definitely a feat. Yeah, and, and I was considering shooting a cow, too. I said, well, if I get a chance to shoot a cow close, um, I'm going to do it because I'm not going home without meat. And I want to punch a tag and, and it just kind of, you know, the, one of the buddies of mine that was with me, he goes, man, it's going to be a lot. He goes, Garrett, if you keep sticking with it, it's just going to be one of those times where it's like, man, this sucks. It sucks. It sucks, man. What's going on? This sucks. And then the next thing you know, it's gonna be, man, that was easy. And that was just exactly how it was. It was like, man, it sucked for so long. And then all of a sudden it was just like, man, that was pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. That was textbook. So, um, Yes, it was it was textbooks, and that's how I wanted to kill one. I mean, that is truly how. And this this hunt was ten percent about heads up decoy, and ninety percent about the fifteen years, and about a personal uh, goal of mine to go and shoot an elk, basically by myself. Yeah, and and, and you know, so it all kind of worked out exactly how it was supposed to. And I was very fortunate. I'm really happy that that's how it all turned out. I learned a ton. I mean, I look back on, on every day that we hunted 
and the experience. I just, I learned a lot about elk hunting because I've seen a bunch of them. I feel more comfortable hunting them. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not as intimidated as, uh, uh, with the mountains as I was when I first started elk hunting. Uh, I feel a lot more comfortable. I feel a lot more comfortable, uh, you know, predicting what the wind's going to do, getting the wind in your favor. Um, you know, and, and that just all comes with not giving up. Yeah. Yeah. You learn, you learn a hell of a lot more from the blown opportunities and the close calls and the encounters than you do of the actual success. Right. Cause like what you just explained, he came in on a string, he did exactly what he was supposed to and it felt like it was easy, but the right. 15 other encounters that you had, it's like nothing would fall into place. And that's where you really kind of learn about the wind, you know, where you need to be in position, um, all the above. And, and I felt like you kind of experienced every realm of elk hunting with this trip. You bet. I mean, it wouldn't, I'm so glad that I didn't shoot that one the first 45 minutes in. Yeah. <laughs> Cause that's, I mean, you don't pass up opportunities, Adam, yeah. you know, you just don't, but I'm, I'm really glad that that's not how it went down. For sure. For sure. And, yeah. you know, I'm so, yeah. Got the full package there. And then, then you have a couple people with you to be able to help pack this thing out. How was the, uh, how was it getting it off the mountain? It was not hard at all. I mean, we weren't in a, the mountain was, I don't even know how you explain it. Um, it was straight up and down on the sides, but then on top it was flat. So um, there was a nice logging, closed logging road that we took for a mile up, and we gained all of uh, all of our elevation on that logging road, except for about 300 feet. So then, from the time we jumped off of the logging road up to the top of the mountain. Um, you know, we gained about 300 feet there and then it was pretty easy getting around except for all the deadfalls. And you know what I'm talking about I oh, mean, yeah. you, you, to go, to go a mile, um, in dark timber, you got to walk three, Yeah. um, you know, <laughs> just to get around all the deadfalls or to go over. I mean, sometimes you just ultimately have to go over them. You can't get around anything. And so, um, you know, so, um, they always seem to be up on top and kind of on a, on easy slopes, uh, fairly easy slopes. We never got to where the mountain was like straight up and down. And we knew that if we did, you know, we were in trouble. So, um, luckily the elk kind of cooperated. There were lots of shady places and lots of tall grass behind, you know, where they were bedded. And, and, uh, so the, so the pack out was not bad at all. Um, I was pretty happy with, uh, with how all that went down. Um, it's still tiring. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, trekking poles are, I think a moral imperative and, and a good pack, uh, that can stabilize your meat. So it's not bouncing around on your back, mm -hmm. um, whatever pack that might be. But, um, you know, going over all those deadfalls and, and some of the rocks. Yeah. I, I think you, you've got to have a trekking poles, um, at least one. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> And I, and, and the guy that was with me, you know, bless his heart, helped me pack it out. We, we, we quartered him, bagged him up. And then we, you know, I had a pack that would carry meat from the kill to, you know, to my other meat hauling pack. 
and I gave him a trekking pole and he didn't realize how big a deal a trekking pole was until he had one in his hand and started carrying meat. And he's like, man, this is, he goes, I, I'm glad I had a, had a pole. <laughs> yeah. It makes a it big just difference. Helps you get over those. Yeah. Just, you know, you're not going to be able to walk around every, every deadfall. Um, or when you're going down a slope, you know, you need to be able to reach out so you don't slide down, you know? So, um, but the pack out was, 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 you know, fine. We did our justice with, uh, um, with the meat. We got, you know, uh, two big coolers full of meat and, uh, and I'm happy with that. You know, elk meat is everybody. I mean, <laughs> you gotta love I that. the back strap off that thing. I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot wait. To start eating <laughs> this thing. And my mouth is watering right there. So it's great, you know, and, and we got the last, we, we left part of it. Um, and got it at first thing Saturday morning and stuck it on ice and finished breaking camp and headed home with a big smile on my face. And, and then, you know, there's not a lot of things. I'm a, I'm, I'm a fairly humble guy. You know me really well, Adam. Um, but I've always wanted to drive down the interstate with an, with a big rack, <laughs> elk rack in the back of my truck. You get all sorts because of good I've looks. Seen, yeah, I've seen thousands of people do it. I'm going, man, you know, I just want to one day drive down I-70 back home with a big elk <laughs> in the back of my truck, you know, so everybody sees it, right? Yep. Well, I get to Oakley, Kansas, where I get onto I-70, and it's dark. I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know, I'm just going to leave it here and just drive, get up in the morning and drive to Oakley and back. <laughs> showboat a little bit awful, but yeah i know that sounds awful but um i don't that blame was, you there I that's like, hilarious Dang it, man <laughs> like that's... i I've, all these people i see driving down the interstate with elk in the back of their vehicle i gotta drive home in the dark that's too funny <laughs> that's too funny that reminds me of a story i uh i came when i killed my uh buck on public land in 2015 i had it skull capped you know, and I had it, uh-huh. had it in my front seat. Like I was so proud of this deer that I had the <laughs> antler sitting in my front seat, belt buckled <laughs> on the passenger side. And I had these two guys like pull up alongside of me as I'm going 70 down the highway. And uh-huh. they're just like looking at me and give me the thumbs up. And they're like doing, yeah. the, doing oh, yeah. the archery, you know, like drawing yeah. back a bow. Did you get it with a bow? And I'm like, yeah. And uh-huh. We had basically had this 30 oh, yeah. second conversation going down the highway, yeah. you know, with just yeah. visuals, but yeah. it was, I was like, man, that was pretty cool. Actually, Cause I'd never been able to experience that before. And a couple guys were right. pretty impressed with it. So it was fun. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I, I mean, you know, I kind of do the same thing when I drive by people, um, I pass people on the interstate or they pass, you know, and I see, I always give them the thumbs up. Uh, cause, elk are hard to they're hard to get you know oh yeah there are guys out there that have it down to a science um yeah and i i applaud them and i envy them uh for sure and 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 you know i i'm not an expert elk hunter i I never will be uh i'd love to do it they're cool animals i mean when they're laying there you just don't have an idea how if you've never elk hunted you got to do it. You have to hear an elk bugle in the wild. I yep. think if you bow hunt, if you bow hunt, you've, that's, you've got to experience that because you will feel alive. You are in the wild. I mean, it is one of the coolest 
noises, sounds in nature that there is is a wild elk, bull elk bugling in the wild. It's just, you, you can't explain it, you know. Um, That's what it's, it's all just, about. It, it is. And, 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 you know, and then when you see them and you're in them and you start, inter, you know, and you're near them, their size and they're, I mean, they're just, they're, they're a cool, they're, they're a cool animal. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, you know, you, if, you know, the people that hunt them, chase them every year and have success, they know that. Um, and for the people that have never hunted and they dream about it, you, you, you just have to do it. You, you've got to just say, I'm, I'm going. There's so much information out there now to, and tools and techniques to help you be successful now. Um, I mean, you have, look at all the things you put out. I mean, the information and the learning curve is so much different now than it was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. You know, you can go out and have a pretty good, pretty good idea what you're in for until, except for the physical and the mental game. That's the only thing you can't, you can't learn at home. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's a, that's a huge part to it. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're serious about bow hunting, if, if you love to hunt, I mean, it's one of those things that you have to do. And like I said, you just got to take the leap of faith and get a buddy or two and, and go for it. And it'll be the experience yeah. of a lifetime for sure. For sure. And, you know, and when I first, like back in 2005 or three or something like that, I just decided I was going. And, you know, at that time, the mountain scares, scared me to death. I didn't trust any my equipment or, or myself. And so I had to have somebody with me. Now, I, like I said, I feel much more comfortable um, I, just going to the mountains and spending some time in there, even if it's fly fishing or whatever. And, and you've got a, an idea that you're going to end up having to go by yourself not being intimidated by the mountains is probably the, is, is the number one thing yep. being in knowing you're going to knowing you're stepping, your you're stepping foot. I mean, you can get anywhere on a map until you get to where the map tells you you need to be. And you realize, Holy shit, I can't <laughs> get up there. So, you know, you've got to go out there and look first and then, you know, then you've got to make sure when you're there that you're in a, <clears throat> that your mind is right and that physically you've prepared a little bit so you're not um you're you're able to get around for sure what uh, before we drop off here garrett what's your whole take on the point you know creep and you know how long it took to get that tag i mean is it one of those things that you're gonna keep putting in points and maybe try to get another tag that's 10 15 points or are you gonna you know, maybe do a couple years and then try to put in for one of those draw units. Like, was it worth it, you know, to wait that long? I mean, obviously you killed a great bull and everything, but like kind of what's your standpoint on that? Is it something that you want to pursue again and wait that long? Or do you want to shoot for something a little less? I'm going to shoot for something less. Uh, I probably won't ever do that again. Um, It's a long time. It's a long time. Um, I... You know, I don't know. I'm not Mr. Colorado Division of Wildlife draw result guy. Um, I'm not. I just know that when there's not a random component and it's purely, you know, guys with the most points get to draw, 
Um, I think that's why I like Arizona so much because you get an incredible hunt down there and it's not, if you want a lifetime commitment to a certain area, that's your own choice, but yep. you can go on some great elk hunts in a great area, a great place, you know, for less than 15 years. I mean, I hunted, I hunted Arizona twice before I drew this tag and P and the, the hunts, the two units that I drew in Arizona are one of them. I know had bigger elk and a lot more and a lot of elk. And the, the other unit where I ended up killing one had a lot of elk. Maybe not, in, and, and probably as far as size-wise, the equivalent. And wow. you know, those are things you could do every five or six years. Yeah. And so, um, and then in this unit that I hunted in, it is not something. I mean, you need to be in pretty damn good shape. It is a rugged ass unit. It's not. It's not a. It's not a piece of cake. I mean, we were hunting eleven thousand feet and up every day. Wow. And, and yeah, so it's, it's not, it's not a, it's not an easy unit to hunt uh, as far as the terrain. Um, you know, so I, I'm glad it worked out how it did. Had I not killed one, I might have had a different opinion. Um, <laughs> you know, cause I mean, when you invest that much time into something, you want to come back with a tag punched, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I was lucky to, to have that you know, to have it all go down like that. Um, but I think 15 years is, is an awful long time to wait to go to a place, uh, in my opinion. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, if you've got a place that you're shooting giant elk in and over-the-counter unit, then, you know, okay, who cares, you know? Yeah. But um, most people don't have that luxury. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, cool. So, well, that's a, that's an awesome story, Garrett. Um you know, great, great kind of whole, you know, the whole season, the whole walkthrough of everything, the planning, the preparation, doing it by yourself, getting it done and, you know, coming home with a punch tag. That's a, that's a great story. So really appreciate you coming on and we'll have to have you back on at some point here, here again to talk some more hunting if you're up for it. You betcha. You know, we're going to, whitetail hunting is going to start kicking in here pretty soon and um, you know, and, and obviously I'm a little more conf. I'm a lot more confident in that, uh, setting than I am in the, in the, in the mountains, but, uh, um, I have a lot more stories obviously because I'm in whitetails a lot more. They're a lot more prolific around here. So, uh, if we could talk about that, that'd be cool. Cause, uh, well, I'm sure we'll have some stories for sure. For sure. Well, cool. Well, thanks again, Garrett. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, Adam, for having me. I appreciate it. All right, and there we go. Another episode down. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again to Garrett Rowe for coming on the podcast. That was a a great story, a great hunt. And, you know, it's something about staying out there and staying determined. He went home, you know, regrouped and came back and and got it done on the final days of his hunt. And, And, you know, if that's a theme that I'm seeing, you know, for my own hunts and as well as, you know, the people that I've had on the podcast recently, grind it out to the last couple of days, you know, grind it out and, and good things will come your way. If you keep at it, if you stay positive, things will happen. And that's, 
so common among <laughs> many hunts. It's at least for me. I mean, it never works out on the on the first day or the the second day. I'm always one of those guys who just dreams of you know, tagging out on the first couple of days and then, you know, getting to kind of take it easy or kill a doe or, you know, relax at hunting camp for a day, God forbid. But, uh, I'm, I'm one of those guys that has to grind it out to the very end, but again, hats off to Garrett and, um, you know, heads up decoy is one of the sponsors of the podcast. So definitely check them out. Heads up decoy.com. Um, if you're getting ready for whitetail season, definitely pick up a, a, buck decoy or a doe decoy it changes the game for sure so um yeah thanks again for tuning in if you haven't done so definitely go to sportsmansnation.com you could subscribe there you can subscribe on itunes stitcher google play and leave us that review leave us that five-star review It'd be much much appreciated check out sportsman's nation on facebook instagram twitter uh youtube they got a channel channel going there um also a good blog going on too lots of good content coming out on sportsmansnation.com as well from the blog side and then as always go to transitionwild.com i still have the colorado beginner elk hunting guide as the free download right now still plenty of rifle seasons left um in colorado you got second third and fourth so if you're looking to take that first elk hunt in colorado make sure you check that out um definitely definitely um go do that you're gonna learn about scouting uh you know planning your hunt where to hunt when to hunt and all the above and most importantly some further inspiration to get your ass out there and kill something because i sure can't so i gotta have you do it for me (laughs) Anyways, that's it. I appreciate you. Love you. Thanks for tuning in. Get out there and hunt. And we'll talk to you soon.